The Mahe Mysteries is brought to you in association with Seychelles Tourism from the land of tradition, mystery and endless surprise. For more information, visit www.seychelles.travel. Mahe Mysteries, investigated by Patrick Muirhead, inspired by real events on a remote tropical island, but all characters and action depicted are imaginary. All that remains. Episode 6. The priest's revelations about Angelique's baby, a mixed-race child born out of wedlock, were both explosive and added to the perplexing sum of secrets that now seem to confirm, in my mind at least, a probable link between the known details. First, the skulls which had been placed mostly to draw unflattering eyes on the church, and second, the old priest, maligned by the Comtesse and denied by her daughter after he'd ensured that the despoliation of the family's public standing had been averted. The facts made no rational sense, and I realised there must be something more, much more. It was possible, too, that the source of the skulls had been the family itself, coming from the sandy expanse, Anse Cimetière, on which I now lived and to which I needed to return. When I arrived back at the cottage, I found Sébastien sitting in a steamer chair on the veranda perusing the small ads in that day's edition of Nation, a red felt tip in his hand. Peering over his shoulder, I noted several scarlet ellipses around assorted job vacancies. Marketing manager at Four Seasons, English language lecturer at UNICEF. There you are, perfect for you, he said, handing me the newspaper. Look busy. I took it from him, curling my lip resentfully. It was the government's own official daily news publication, a typically thin affair, mostly in English, that favoured positive portrayals of state activities on the front page over crime stories or more discomforting tidings, invariably buried strategically within and written in Creole to deflect any foreign visitor's casual curiosity. I started at the front, scanning its most unsizzling splash lead about new government loans for small business, and flicked through the pages, my eyes falling presently on a display advertisement for a forthcoming charity event. It had been placed by the Catholic Church, with a logo showing the image of the mother and child, exactly the same as the ones I'd seen on the pendants belonging to Marie's and Samuel. St. Elizabeth Convent, bring and buy sale, read the accompanying text. I lowered the newspaper and stared unfocused into the distance, towards the serene ocean beyond the coconut trees. So that was it, I thought. At last, one part of the puzzle was fitting into place. It made perfect sense to me, at least. 
even if others would struggle to believe it. But I needed to be certain that my hunch was correct. I spun around and thrust the newspaper back at Sebastien. I promise I'll brush up my CV later, I said, receiving a silent, admonitory frown, and left the cottage quickly in search of Samuel. The boy had made commendable progress, beautifying the giant tortoise's passion pen, and had moved on to piling the slashed creeper tendrils in a huge stack beyond the Quantess's wildly unkempt vegetable patch, ready for burning. He stopped when he saw me, and crouched, glad of a moment's rest. I approached, taking a packet of Winstons from my pocket, and offered him one. The boy shook his head. It's not my habit, he said. But you go ahead, Monsieur Patrick. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. Never will. Very refreshing to hear, I said, lighting up and looking around before crouching close to him. He smelled feral, sweat running in rivulets down his temples. But in spite of it, a healthy and handsome boy, a youngster of good character, whose cheerful warmth exuded from his pores as prodigiously as his perspiration. Today's T-shirt was black and depicted Ras Robbie, a Sichuan reggae artist, the thin chain of the boy's gold necklace visible beneath a moist collar. I pointed to it. You wear the amulet of St. Elizabeth, I said. For a moment he seemed perplexed, before following my gaze to his necklace and nodded. Yes, of course, all my life. St. Elizabeth is my patron saint. Why's that? I asked. His eyes opened wide and he stared at me, incredulous at my ignorance. But she's saved me, Monsieur. She's the patron saint of Mother Nurse. If it weren't for Saint Elizabeth and for Madame, I would be living in a ghetto, exobidorb. You were rescued from drug addiction, I said. No, I, I never took drug. I learned all about that danger when I was in primary level and many other things too. The nuns, they took good care of us. I flicked my ash guiltily. So you were at St. Elizabeth Convent? Oui, he said. Foyer de la Providence. From the day I was born until I was 16 years old, and then Madame gave me a job with her. Place to live, food in my belly. You like working for the Comtesse? Be oui, it's très bon, très gentil. I don't know how you say in English. Kind, I said. You say she's been very kind. Tout cela, he replied. The sun was beginning to make its swift farewell beneath the horizon when I reappeared on the cottage veranda, supper aromas wafting from the kitchen along with the rhythmic cacophony of Beyoncé. Sébastien was flipping a pan of sliced vegetables, joining in the chorus of the chanteuse's latest hit in his uniquely untuneful but endearing style. I sidled up behind him, placing a tender hand on his shoulder and rested my cheek on the other. Where's that CV? he asked, his attention from his task unwavering. You promised, mister. And I want to see emails tonight, you hear? I hear, I said, my eyes darting towards the car keys on the counter. But I have one small thing I need to do first, and then I promise I'll get on the case. 
It's the case that worries me, said Sebastian. You are dealing with bad people, my love. You don't understand how these things always are in Seychelles. Like all you expats, you come here, think you know how it works, but you don't. He turned and scraped the sautéed veg into a serving bowl before dropping the pan in the sink. We Seychellois have our ways. We are not in England, Montgare. Things are different here. And when you start pushing your nose in where it's not wanted, there is danger. Just saying. I swept up the keys to the moak and promised to be back in reasonable time. Dusk was falling fast as the little car bumped its way off the track onto the coast road south. Within a few minutes I'd reached the next bay, Osboileau, where men, still in their working clothes, were gathering to open bottles of Cebu beneath the takamaka trees fringing the shore. The last glimmers of ochreous light were just visible across the calm expanse of ocean beyond, silhouetting a handful of tiny fishing boats in a most picturesque way. A scattering of tourists, distinctive in their billowy white linen and pristine Panama hats, attested to the fact as they snapped selfies in a postcard tropical sunset. Marie's lived in a tin-roofed wooden shack, part hidden by banana plants, among a ramshackle cluster of similar structures high up on the mountainside overlooking the village. I passed a tidy bed of flowering lobster claws and flame orange heliconias as I approached her door. Light from a bare ceiling bob was visible within, the odour of frying fish in the air. A radio was playing and the door was open, but I knocked and called out, Bonsoir. She came to the threshold, now changed from her housemaid uniform into a fussily decorated chemise with a décolletage neckline, her pendant clearly in view within a damp and ample cleavage. Bonsoir, monsieur, she said. May I help you? Look, Marie's, uh, madame, I said, I'm so sorry to bother you, but there is something I must ask. It really could be quite important, but I sense you don't want to talk about it. But we really must. I implore you, perhaps for Samuel's sake. Samuel? Is he not well? He's fine, Marie's, but I need to know something that only you can confirm. I know he was brought up at St. Elizabeth. He told me himself this afternoon. What of it? she asked, a defensive note in her voice. You both wear the same pendant, I gestured towards her bosom. The amulet of St. Elizabeth. It surely isn't a coincidence, unless the Countess makes a point of employing only those who began their lives in the orphanage. Why are you asking this? she demanded. I just want to understand how he came to be there at St. Elizabeth. She hesitated, reluctant to imperil herself by speaking curtly to her employer's white expatriate friend, still unable to free herself from ingrained subservience to old customs. I must not be impolite, you understand me, Monsieur, but it is of no concern to you, this matter. It is a very personal thing between Samuel and myself. Although I was not an orphan, the Blessed Mother of Jesus be thanked. In this you are not correct. 
But you have a connection to St. Elizabeth. She cast her eyes down and crumpled. I did what I had to for Samuel's sake. He is like a son to me, like my other sons. So I took him there when he was a baby, with the help of Père Maurice. If I had not, he would surely have suffered. Perhaps even he would die. You did this of your own volition? I mean, it, it was your choice? It was not my choice or my wish for him, but it was the better way. So who told you to take him there, to save his life, perhaps? Marise was coiling a tea towel between her fingers, agitated. Regret that she had already revealed too much was written on her brow. It was Madame, she said. Darkness shrouded the little community of dwellings as I climbed back into the moak, reversing to rejoin the winding road downhill towards the coast. My mind was in consternation with the new knowledge of how the de Chalice clan's secrets and their family enmities were now most certainly connected. As I turned right and headed north on the coast road towards home, the moak was soon dipping beneath trees that obscured the starlight. A pair of headlights appeared at once from a vehicle behind, piercing my eyes, reducing my limited night vision. I repositioned the rear view, noticing that the car behind, its headlamps surely at full beam, was accelerating and gaining ground. Ours were the only two vehicles on that inky black stretch of road. Closer it drew behind me, and closer still, enough for me to suck my teeth and curse its driver under my breath. A drunken charge, I thought. But the follower refused to let up and started to swerve slowly left and right, its headlamps blasting into the wing mirror on my right-hand side. There was ample room to pass, but the follower stayed resolutely on my tail, just a few feet behind. Within a hundred yards, I signalled early, slowed, and turned onto our beach track, noting that the other car had slowed in unison. At a complete rest and in safety, I turned and looked back angrily to see if I could glimpse and identify the lunatic whose roadcraft was so wanting. And I did. By the blue glow of my pursuer's dashboard, the profile was quite clear. It was Bernard Jolicoeur. He looked at me once, then drove away. The Mahe Mysteries was created by Patrick Muirhead and Lindsay Farabo. It was written, narrated, and produced by Patrick Muirhead. Music was by Isham Rath. It was an operculum media production recorded on location in Mahe Island, Seychelles. The Mahe Mysteries is brought to you in association with Seychelles Tourism from the land of tradition, mystery and endless surprise. For more information, visit www.seychelles.travel. I'm Eliza. 
And I need you to listen to me. Have you ever felt so much that you don't know where to put it all? And you wonder if anyone would notice if you screamed? Because you want to. Scream for the ones they've hurt. The ones they've taken. Scream for yourself. These are my words. My story from my perspective. Because I know you'll hear other versions. Because I want you to have a chance to believe mine. Or at least hear it. If you're getting this, it's already over. But if one of you listens, really listens, it won't be for nothing.